hrgrapevine.com. It's the HR Grapevine podcast. Hi there, everyone. Eric Niewerowski here. Thank you for joining me again this week. And happy Pride Month to all that celebrate, which, in my opinion, it really should be everyone. Pride Month is a month that we can support, recognize, lift up, and serve as allies to our LGBTQ plus family and friends and our colleagues, of which I am. So this week's episode, I'm thrilled to be talking with Rebecca Wallace. She is the People and ESG Director for RICO in the UK and Ireland. And Rebecca and I are going to talk about how inclusion for the community has evolved in the last decade, some of the initiatives that RICO are implementing to support their LGBTQ plus employees, different approaches to mental health, and some advice to SMEs to support their LGBTQ plus colleagues. It was a very insightful conversation with Rebecca, and I hope you enjoy it. So, hello, nice to meet you. I'm Rebecca Wallace. I'm the People and ESG Director for RICO, looking after the UK and Ireland. I have a wonderful team that works for me. I always say I have the best job in the company because I get to do all the people stuff. I get to do all the community stuff, volunteering, community investment and so on, and get, get I think, to make a real difference to both the people that work for us and the people who sort of connect to and are stakeholders to RICO. Um, I'm busy. Busy working mum. I have three young adults, they are now, and you know, busy, happy household. So, thanks so much for joining today. Um, I want to talk about LGBTQ plus rights in the workplace and the progression. It is Pride Month. Um, I'm a member of the community myself. I'm a happily bisexual man. Um, I love, I really embrace my queerness, and I'm happy to be an advocate for it. But I also acknowledge that it's been a long, long road for equality, uh, especially around the LGBTQ plus community. So just to kick it off from your experience as a people leader, how has inclusion for the LGBTQ plus community evolved in the last decade? Gosh, I think when you're talking the last decade, it's probably more more recently is probably mm-hmm. my experience of it. It's sort of escalated in a positive way. I think obviously you've had um, societal change, law changes. We're talking UK. I know it's a different picture globally. We're not talking about that at the moment. Right. But I think there's been my personal experience has been there has been a massive and positive change. My other side of my personal experience, it hasn't been massive enough. Mm-hmm. And it's still a work in progress, very, very much a work in progress. Um, I think the, the key things for me is actually it is starting to be a conversation. It started to be a more open conversation. People are becoming more familiar, more comfortable. A lot of the bad stuff, as we know, is around ignorance and, yeah. and lack of understanding and lack of knowledge and just a, a fear, you know, some of that's generational without wanting to stereotype from a generational perspective, but it, it's mm-hmm. just when things aren't spoken about, people don't know about them. Um, so I think it's been positive. I think there's a massive way to go. I think, you know, from our, my experience, people lead, you know, it's a boardroom conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there is, we're lucky to have a sex sponsorship on the topic, but I think generally not just sticking with that community, I think people are being encouraged so much more to be um, themselves at work. That that comes in different guises and we just spoke about 
the last two years and that yeah. I think helped that conversation actually yeah. interestingly people did it was a definite separation between the two and I think that's where the LGBTQT plus community was sort of that was an outside work thing and inside work was a different behavior so yeah in summary it's changed but not quite fast enough yet so when you said it has to be a boardroom conversation I want to ask about that. How is that brought up within the boardroom? I can just talk about my experience. Please, but, yeah. Um, yeah, so if we look across the whole of the inclusion diversity agenda, what, what we were very, very aware of, it does have to, you know, any, any change in an organisation has to be um, led from the top or at least have the advocates at the top. And we have, across all of our diversity strands, an executive sponsor, one of the board directors, Mm -hmm. um for this particular community we have a really strong advocate really strong sponsor um and that conversation is in terms of in board minutes we have updates on inclusion diversity um sort of dashboard data shared with the ceo i've got a review coming up next week on that looking inclusion surveys looking what are the results from those inclusion surveys what are they telling us what do we need to do about it um so and and also just publicizing the activities we're doing as well and ensuring that you've got board and exec sponsorship um leading those actually not just not just joining them but leading them yeah it certainly has to be a top-down approach you know really with anything within the business but certainly when it comes to dni and especially you know if you take out all the different parts of what the dni agenda can be it's certainly race-based it's certainly neurodivergent based and certainly you know lgbtq as well so along with that can you tell me about some of the initiatives that rico uk are implementing to support your lgbtq uh, community and employees yeah absolutely i'd love to share them actually so I think one thing to mention is it, it does fit into the whole inclusion agenda. And, mm -hmm. and I think for us, that that sits in the uh, sort of making sure, you know, I'm not going to talk about the benefits of having an inclusive, diverse workforce, diverse workforce. That's, that's, you know, the research backs that up. Um, but the sort of overlay objectives, obviously, there's the policies, there's all the stuff, there's code of conduct, there's um, training across the board in terms of dignity at work mm -hmm. and all those things that embrace the policies and that sort of base level understanding then in terms of our recruitment um we we actually signed up we, we talked to experts who help provide us with you know what are we going to do how are we going to target it how are we can best sort of make the biggest impact from that perspective so across the board for recruitment we we signed up to opening doors campaign which will mean that we can target certain groups we certainly measure on our recruitment sort of statistics. Sticking with data, actually, data is probably one of the, you know, if I was advising anyone, data has to be a starting point for everything. And it isn't mm -hmm. um, always easy to gather. You know, people, I'm sure you talked to lots of HR directors will say, actually, people don't want to disclose. And that's a, you know, it's a bit of a um, vicious circle, as it were. Mm -hmm. If you've got very open culture, people will disclose and that helps you have an open culture. If you haven't, they won't, and therefore you haven't. So we've had a real, real push actually post COVID on ensuring that we have data. Um, and that's just sort of different characteristics of individuals, which enables us to then report on what's happening with that and enables us in inclusion service and so on to know what groups of people, how that how they're being impacted by the culture. And we can pull out one of the things for that is, you know, we'll pull out from the LGBTQ plus community what it feels like to work at RECA. We just had the results of our annual inclusion survey back which shows actually on all factors they feel more positive than the 
rest of the community, which which is great. But it but then it's diving down into that gate data. So you know that data that audit is really important for us across all groups, and we pull out by the different strand of diversity. In terms of specific for LGBTQ plus, we've um we've recently actually and only fairly recently post covid put it on hold because we wanted to ensure that all our workforce were back and up and running um and launched um, an affinity group mm-hmm. for us i spoke about the boardroom conversation that's obviously <laughs> sponsored by the um exec sponsor on that um it's a, a voluntary group anyone can join that group and it's really to help try and foster deep connections across the organization and and to engender that sense of belonging for anyone involved in that but but more specifically to understand the experiences of um the community and share ideas in particular when we spoke about pride obviously that's around allyship so we've we've had a big focus given it's launched fairly recently around allyship what can we do and listening to the voices of people talking to people it's, it's very very i say it's a two-way conversation it's probably not it's poor, more probably more um you know individuals impacted having that conversation but also what the intention is that where we've got inclusion data it's not just doing us doing a backroom exercise guessing about what that means but using those um that group to advise us you know what do you think this means what does that mean how can we reach out also looking at policies um any policies i mean the obvious ones are family friendly policies to ensure they're not just written for you know your stereotypical heterosexual family but across all policies are they appropriate is there something in there that we're missing because we're not part of that community or not not everyone there are members in in my team and all of the teams but it's ensuring we've got that two-way conversation and also you know what else can we do support it you know we speak about reverse mentoring um you know sponsorship circles all those sorts of things but trying to identify and use them to identify what it is that we can particularly help with the thing that one thing i will mention is we um running two lunch and lawns at lunch and learns as okay. part of pride month um and we, the first one actually ran yesterday and it was just um i have to say the most fantastic experience the, the principles behind is that education piece that people can move to allyship but in particular advocacy is what we're really looking for mm-hmm. and it had you know a large number of people attend that is voluntary attendance but what it did was it um i think many of these initiatives we, we'd like people to share their stories and people on the call openly sharing their stories for me that's a real example of that open communication people feel comfortable you know and it was it was a big big group on there um and these are people who who are not themselves a member of the lgbtq plus community but they're you know in, in one particular case their daughter is um going through transition you know okay. just on yeah. 18 another one spoke about you know the mental health issues which had impacted her nephew and it was just exactly for me it really hit the mark in terms of that conversation opening up and that learning for everyone on there and yeah it was it was something really special actually all right so i want to shift the topic a little bit about mental health it's great that you can offer mental health support for all of your employees but you know a lot of mental health support a lot of therapists might not really be the most progressive when it comes to LGBTQ plus rights. Certainly we've seen a lot in the, in in the headlines, certainly in the UK, definitely in America where I'm from about the regression and sort of transgender rights for colleagues and just trans society as a whole. So, but mental health is a huge thing because again, I don't have that data, but I know suicide rates amongst LGBTQ plus people, especially young people are, are 
staggeringly and shockingly high. So how do you approach mental health differently when it comes to your LGBTQ plus employees compared to like, you know, the cishet ones? Yeah. So, so do we take a different approach? One thing I would say is one thing I'm particularly proud of is our approach from RICO to mental health. We already had a big program running. It really came, I guess, to the forefront during um, COVID mm-hmm. when we had people furloughed, people not furloughed, you know, either not furloughed and working really, really hard or furloughed and, you know, with, with all the, you know, horrible, devastating mental health challenges that brought. And so um, I think whilst not specific to the, to the community, that community, every single board call, every senior leadership call was, um, there, you know, the middle topic was basically people and that was basically mental health. So we started sort of bringing this out in the conversation, which, um, yeah, indirectly is, is going to help everyone have that conversation against mental mm-hmm. health. But again, we have a fantastic exec sponsor. It's probably where we're furthest ahead in terms of our different sort of inclusion strands, as it were. Um, and what we've done since we came back again, delayed as before as a result of COVID, because we want everyone to be back, is the launching of the Wellbeing Champions, properly launching them properly. And then one, one of our team, one, who is a wellbeing champion, also from the LGBTQ plus community. And he, he's been sharing a story of his mental health issues. And as you're right, they are, you know, more severely impacted, those researchers, and more severely impacted, not as a result of um, being in the community, as a result of other people's behaviour. Exactly, and, and yes. What, what's, what's caused by that. So he talks very honestly on his podcast about um, his uh, mental health issues and then subsequently, you know, was in a happy place and his um, husband died, you know, very, very early, very young. So he actually has gone on to not only being, he's a wellbeing champion, but he's a wellbeing champion because he wants to help people in, in, in whatever situation he's going on to a counseling qualification and everything else. So I think it, it talks very specifically um, that particular story, as it were, to that particular community, as well as um, others. We also actually this year um, launched a um, an app. I know there's lots of apps. Every it's a sort of it's a particular every mind wellbeing app. It is actually, and again, that talks specifically. It takes on different um, communities, but it does talk specifically. There's articles in there for um, that particular community in terms of recognizing that there is more of a tendency because of all the different things that that happen and have happened over the years and and sort of the from that perspective so I think we've also signed up to the mental health at work commitment of course and so I think in that in terms of what we're doing for it we're recognizing it as a group we are focusing and we're having that conversation um, in terms of how we can support that in extra in terms of the specific support given we have access to counsellors we have access to employee helplines we um do all, all the things that you'd expect to do and actually i think we do a bit more having benchmarked recently mm-hmm. um i think we're, we're learning as we go along so we will use the affinity group to say what else can we do can we do specific things that are going to really help um this particular group in coming forward and talking but i i would like to say you know i think i can safely say that we're very open culture about talking about um mental health in all parts of our organization. Um, and it's something that we have so many people talking about t- telling their stories about that it's something that I would be very disappointed if someone felt they couldn't talk about it with their manager. Yeah. So we were talking before we hit record about like some of the pluses and minuses of the pandemic. And I, th- I think one of the pluses certainly was the sort of 
a normalization around being comfortable around talking about mental health. I certainly think that's a plus. And then there's, there's always that downstream effect from it, right? So once you, once you normalize that, that chat around mental health and saying, it's okay to not be okay. I, I hate to be cliche, but that certainly was Absolutely. it. It's okay to not be okay. That can then, that trickles down all the way to every different sort of subset community of your workforce. So I think that's fantastic. So it's great for large organizations to offer up support for their LGBTQ plus employees, but what would be some advice that you would share to the smaller SMEs who might have an HR department of, you know, one person in that role? What sort of advice would you say to, to start so that they can offer up supports to their LGBTQ plus employees? Uh, well, first, not wanting to disagree with you wholeheartedly, but I, I, I'm not sure it is um, easier for big organisations. And I think during our conversation, whilst you're speaking to me, I lead HR, we're sort of, we're behind this initiative. I don't think I've mentioned that any of the things that we're talking about were HR things. They were led mm -hmm. by board members. They were led by wellbeing right. champions. Yes, yeah. you do need, you do need a coordinator. I think the key point, and I will come back with some, you know, how I think it could work um, more easily in small organisations. But I think my key point about it's about the individual and and mm -hmm. so that individual and then any any in any organization an individual's experience is their manager majority their manager yeah. and therefore i think in a smaller organization actually the huge advantage you have is that you're not just a number you are you know you are your manager is close to you managers know the people so in any organization once you get down to the individual level everyone reports into someone ultimately right and sometimes it can be harder actually in a big organization getting the message that cascaded across the whole group of everyone because maybe those managers feel they don't know enough about it mm -hmm. so they can't own it but i think the principles for all are exactly the same and and that is really ideally it is not an hr initiative it's a business initiative yes yeah. hr can give good practice and they've maybe got the resource to do that but it's that conversation at board level it, it's then um ensuring that you have a two-way conversation so we spoke about don't don't assume you know talk to your employees talk about what they want talk about what it feels like for them um and listen to them and you know just just do what they say really i've always been an advocate the employee voice in every single aspect of my job and that that's my starting point because i know for when i do not know the answers you know and, I, and why would i and why should i why should i expect it to so um i think sort of it's so i think if you can have that approach if we want everyone to feel included then at board level then that can be an easy message through senior managers. And, and but then there are the things like having conversations, you know, how do you get someone to be open? How do you empower? How do you get that um, trusted culture within something? And I think, you know, the, the examples we've seen is, you know, maybe if um, I think vulnerability is a great word. I think mm. if senior people or people of influence can show levels of vulnerability, it suddenly puts a slightly different perspective on everyone else. Okay. Okay, that's that, that's nice. You know, so teaching managers to have those softer skills, I think, is is something that we all can do, um, and that's whether you're big or small. And um, from that point of view, and again, it starts with the top. At the top, I think the mental health support, in case they're not in a position where they can get the information internally at that point, I think having that access or that signposting to a mental health support and that encouragement to be able to speak up in an organization are all things that can be thought about. But, it, but it, there, there, I think there are several different options depending on the organization and the current sort of state of their culture and, and where they are in the journey. 
Yeah, I, I appreciate you challenging me a little bit on that. As I read it back, easier is not the right word. Um, but <laughs> Sorry. No, it's, it's absolutely okay. It's, it's, it's that's the whole point of these great dis- open and frank discussions, right? Easier is not the word. It was just more so in, in the terms of resources and headcount, right? So you have, yes. what is your headcount in RICO within the UK right now? Um, it's about 1,800. That's yeah. a lot. That's a lot. You know, so it's easy to identify and have those LGBTQ voices speak up and say, I want to be in this affinity group where I guess more so what I meant with the SMEs is that you might not have enough people to form a group, right? So that that's kind of where I was coming from. And, and I do love how you did stress it's not an HR initiative. It's a business-led initiative. And I think that's so, so important. And sort of the evolution of HR over the last two years has gone less about, uh, again, not to hit, sound cliche, but less human and more people-related. Yes. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point, actually. Whether Yeah, it's, it's those words, how they would be defined and everything. But I, 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 I do pick up on your point about you know, maybe there is a lone voice in a in a yeah. smaller FME, and and how does that feel for that individual? And that that is a um, I think it then has to be down to the the manager skills in yeah. being. To be honest, I think it's the manager skills in being an advocate for all of their people, but particularly those who have additional challenges. Right. Um, depending on the community they're sitting in, I don't think the onus can be on the individual in that scenario where they may feel that they are the only person um, with that particular voice and therefore skilling managers and leading that from the top. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but covering all strands of inclusion would, is the way I would put it. Um, but it, it, it is a challenge and I'm sure it's a challenge that a lot of smaller organisations will come across and a lot of employees in smaller organisations may well come across as well. Well, I could probably talk to you about this for another two hours, but I want to be mindful of your time and our audience's time. So, Rebecca, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, speak with me today and keep up the good work over there at Rico. I really appreciate your time. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Well, once again, I'd just like to thank Rebecca Wallace. People and ESG director for RICO in the UK and Ireland for a really insightful chat. And I think for me, my biggest takeaway out of this talk today was how progression for LGBTQ plus people and just overall DNI in general within the workplace, it's not an HR initiative. It is a business-led initiative. I've, I've certainly taken that to heart, and I hope all of you out there do as well. So once again, thank you for joining me on the HR Grapevine podcast on hrgrapevine.com, and I will talk to you next week.